There is a lot of financial documentation that we had to turn over to them so that they had confidence in putting us on their platform. They don't want to put up companies that um, are not financially sound. So we had to turn over P&Ls, balance sheets, income statements, um, everything. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. A few weeks back, we talked about angel investing 101 on the show and equity crowdfunding got a brief shout out. I was super curious on the topic and thought who better to talk about equity crowdfunding than someone in the process right now. Today, we're joined by Elena Guberman, co-CEO of TBH, a brand focused on reimagining nostalgic snacks. Their first product is a better for you, better for the planet, plant-based version of Nutella with no palm oil, 50% less sugar, and three times the protein. TBH was co-founded by someone you may know, Stranger Things actor and entrepreneur, Noah Schnapp. Listen in as Elena shares about the details of their current equity crowdfunding raise on Republic that as of our recording date has blown past its $25,000 goal with over $450,000 raised from over 550 investors why they chose equity crowdfunding, what it's like getting set up on an equity crowdfunding platform as far as the due diligence process and Elena's launch prep tips, how they're using the campaign to educate Gen Z consumers about investing and why keeping the minimum investment at $50 was important. As a side note, Elena will mention in the show that over 70% of campaign investors invested less than $250. So cool. The story behind their Nosh award-winning collaboration with Chubby Snacks and why collaborations are part of the TBH strategy, what it's like to have a celebrity as a co-founder, and more. And stay tuned at the end of the episode for a bonus segment, today featuring Startup CPG Shelfie Award winner, Papadelix. Elena and I will share our reviews mid-episode, and then at the end of the episode, you can catch a mini-interview with Papadelix founder, Marilyn, to learn more. Hi, Elena. Welcome to the show today. I cannot tell you how excited I am to see you and to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I would love if you could start us off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and about TBH, and then we will dive in. Sure thing. Um, I'll start with me. My career has been mostly all in CPG, um, in the operation side of natural and organic brands. And I love being in like the early, early stages of a brand, um, all the way through kind of the messy middle. And I've been with brands all the way through acquisition. In the past, I've always been on the operation side. So really focusing on manufacturing, supply chain, making sure you have everything you need, that your teammates are selling and that it tastes good and that any feedback is implemented and corrective actions are um, assigned so that the most delicious product kind of goes out to the market. And that is what fortunately I love as a human and what I get to do every single day. Um, and then as far as CBH, a year and a half ago, I was uh, kind of coming back to CPG from some time in tech um, over the pandemic and doing some consulting for, for friends. And the team at TBH was looking for someone from the industry to really grow the brand and bring it to market. So I joined the team four months pre-launch. Uh, for two years prior to that, Noah, who is uh, who most know as Will from Stranger Things, uh, connected with my partner, Bob Manuzzi, and her venture studio. And Noah really had this idea when he was 15, which is like absolutely incredible, um, to make a better Nutella, which is something that he grew up eating and loved, but knows and knew that 
it wasn't the best for him. So uh, the venture studio helped do some of the R&D work. Um, we found a manufacturer. We did all the taste testings together. And by the time I joined, we, you know, or they, I should say, had a manufacturer. We had a great partner. Um, we had kind of a go-to market strategy that was initially digitally native. So online only through our D2C path. Um, and we launched November 1, 2021. So uh, about 14 months ago. Wow, that is amazing. And I've got a jar sitting right next to me. I've tried the product. It's absolutely incredible. Everyone that comes into our house has gotten to try it as well. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like it's so smooth and so amazing. And then you look at it in the ingredients and you're like, wow, that that's all that's in there? Like, wow, how does it taste so good? It's so it's so. <laughs> It's so awesome. Um, so yeah, absolutely loved trying the product. And that's, that's that. so cool. So much has happened uh, since you joined. And on yeah. that note, can you tell us a little bit like where's the business at right now? Like how many employees kind of, you know, are you in retailers? W what's kind of the status? Yeah, so we um, are still a very lean team. I would always recommend kind of keeping lean um, some of our partners, as far as contractors, bring in a lot of the experience. Um, so our head of sales, for example, right now is a contractor, um, but he has been with us since December 2021 and is, is as much of a part of our team as, as anybody else. And then as far as like our core team, as far as employees, we have um, three. So still a really lean team. Uh, planning to stay that way at least for the next 18 months. So no new hires. Um, I think we have like all of the ammunition we might need uh, to execute in the best possible way. Um, I say that now, but things might change. And uh, so don't hold me to that as startup life, everyone knows like everything kind of changes pretty quickly. Um, and then as far as channels, you know, we started off digitally native. When I came on board and I tried the product, I had the same reaction as you. I was like, oh my gosh, like interesting. This is super, super good. Um, I haven't eaten Nutella in years, but then I bought Nutella and I tried them side by side. Um, being digitally native is really important for community, I think, and for really doing a lot of like testing in those early stages because you have such a direct relationship to all of your consumers. Like, you know who they are. You can find out where they live. You can email them if you want to. And that kind of connection is, is very special. However, we are a heavy product. We have a 14-ounce jar filled with a very dense spread. And as any kind of spread or beverage founder will tell you, shipping heavy stuff is expensive and unfortunate. So while we started Digitally Native and started building our community, which Noah is a tremendous part of, um, besides being a founder, he's such a voice for us of, of loving the spread and, and why this mission-oriented company is, is so important to him and to Gen Z and younger generations. Um, I think we also, mostly I, kind of thought we have to fight with Nutella on shelf, which is where they are, and we have to meet them there. So pretty quickly, we... Um, launched with Airwan in all of their eight stores in Southern California. That's also where my co-founder Bama Nuzi lives. Um, so she's able to kind of go to the Airwans, do check-ins, check on all our babies on shelf. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's really all about bringing the customer your product in the best possible way. So for us, we still love D2C. We love our customers there. Our subscriptions are important to us. We treat subscriptions as like a, a, a special little place where we can communicate to people and surprise them and delight them and give them new insights and put little secrets in, in their packages. Um, 
So D2C is very important, but along the way in 2022, we definitely shifted to much more of a retail focus. That will remain our focus in 2023. So we're really committed to retail um, with some exciting announcements that will come up in like the next couple of quarters. And then as we pursue retail, one other thing that we found along the way in 2022 is that people eat TBH um, like by the spoonful. And when they do, they like go to restaurants and they see Nutella on the menus and then they email us or they go to a creperie or a smoothie bar and they see Nutella on the menu and send us pictures. So food service is another area in 2023 where we are going to focus. And I know there's a lot of listeners and participants and members of Startup CPG that are starting companies and early on their journey, as are we. Um, and I would just want to maybe say that prioritization, it's something that is a goal of mine for 2023, just to like ruthlessly prioritize. And when I say food service and retail and D2C are all our priorities, like it kind of doesn't make sense even when I say it. So for 23, our goal is retail. Food service is something that's kind of coming to us and that we think is really important for the future of our company. So we're strategically picking restaurants, creperies, smoothie bars that we can work with while really continuing to keep our focus on retail. That is where our energy is going, but food service is still very important because we don't want to miss the opportunity to kick Nutella out of out of that menu and and be on that menu ourselves. And it's great for awareness as well as we enter retail to be in some restaurants that are also in the area because then you kind of see TBH a couple of times and it all ties back in together. Yeah, amazing. And I appreciate your note on prioritization because it's so important. And with small teams of just a couple people, you know, less than five people, you can only do so many things. So I appreciate that. No, it's it's very helpful. And, you know, you and I initially connected on the ops side, it through the Slack and Startup CBG. That's how we first chatted. So I know that you're thinking through all of these pieces. And, you know, I appreciate that. And that's why I enjoyed our, our initial conversations. Totally. It's so I can empathize with with everybody. Like, it's so hard. Ruthless prioritization is so hard. Um, but there are only, let's call it like how many hours in a day you need to sleep, you need to eat, you need to like take a mental health walk. And the rest of the time you're building a business and there are so many opportunities that could possibly fall in your lap. But which ones are worthwhile? Which ones are, instead of thinking about them as opportunities, I always love to think about things as like a door that opens and all of a sudden you meet a human and you can connect with them. You can build that relationship, but that doesn't mean you need to act on that like right now. You can remain friends with them. You can keep them updated. And then maybe when you're ready six months down the road, they'll always be there. Awesome. Well, and I today I definitely want to talk about the raise, the equity crowdfunding raise that you all did on Republic because it's amazing from like I checked yesterday and you were at like 475 plus thousand dollars raised over 550 investors and the initial goal was like $25,000 and I I think this topic is super interesting. We we just did an episode at the end of last year of kind of angel investing 101 and our guest Marsha was talking about how with the SEC regulation updates, how equity crowdfunding has become an option for raising money. And so I would love to kind of learn to dive into this, you know, starting with like, how did you decide like, we're going to raise money via this, you know, via crowdfunding platform? What went into that decision? Yeah, it's, it's I feel like this raise 
is very special because from the moment TBH launched, we recognized the incredible community that has surrounded us. A lot of them are fans of Noah, have followed him through his career, are younger, on the younger side for sure. And all we wanted is to bring them in more. They're already our fans. They follow us on Instagram. They send us photos. They, you know, represent us with our merch. But we wanted them to, we wanted two things really from this race. The first is to bring in our fans to be more active participants in our journey. It's not always easy, but we but we want them there. We want them there for it, for the R&D, for uh, the learning. But the second and maybe more interesting is a lot of our younger audience wasn't aware about investing or had a lot of questions about like, what are we doing? What is this? And we wanted this capital raise to be an educational opportunity for everybody, including myself. I think we've had so many people come on and we've done reels pretty much weekly with some of our close friends and investors who have been in the space and know all of the ins and outs on what to do, when to do it, how to do it. How do you decide where to put your money? And that educational series on Instagram has brought to life so many more questions. And I am obsessed with all of like the knowledge that we are sharing because it's so important. I didn't start investing at all until my early 30s. And partially because I might not have had money to do it at all, but partially because I just didn't know where to start. I'd been working with all these early stage companies and seeing them grow and seeing them kind of grow and expand. Um, but what is investing really? And I think when you start putting money behind your passions and your goals and, and your dreams, it helps you learn in a very different way. So for those two reasons, like bringing our fans in and democratizing really um, investing, because the, the minimum that we were able to negotiate with Republic for an investment was $50. So it really lowered the bar so much to being an accredited investor and tens of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars. It lowers that barrier so much. Um, so it's been very, very, very special. And I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but 77% of our investors through Republic have invested less than $250, which means that we are bringing with us an entirely new community of folks who have never invested before, who are investing on behalf of their kids or on behalf of their family members or for themselves. Um, and along the journey, I'm so excited to have them in our investor updates share like the challenges and the heartaches and the pain points and the manufacturing hurdles um, and the R&D and giving samples to everyone as we work on new products. That is a part of the joy of working in food. That's so cool. I love it. And I, the education series has been so fun. Like I remember one of the videos with Gen Z VCs and like it's, it's with Megan. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So that's so interesting. And what an incredible way to bring people along on the journey, like, did you, was that something that you were like, did you have to shop around for like platforms or like do research into like what to prep as a company before doing that? Like legally, cause you know, like you still get, um, you know, there's still investor documents and all those things. Was any of that like a learning curve? Oh, uh, yes, for sure. Uh, there's a lot that goes into launching a campaign like this. And there are a couple of options to your point. Republic is one of a, a number of platforms like WeFunder or Start Engine. All of them have their own intricacies and their own different kind of little details. Uh, we went with Republic because um, some of our investors are connected to Republic and have worked with the platform previously. I have some 
founder friends that have launched on Republic and have had really successful campaigns. So that's why we chose Republic. Along the way, the team at Republic has been incredibly helpful at helping me <laughs> navigate all of the like legalities and documents and the due diligence process was a pain in the butt, but they held my hand through it, which was really nice. It's always just pleasant to have another human who you can email and say, excuse me, what is this and what do you need? But they've been absolutely incredible. And as far as like the questions, for sure, I think as an entrepreneur, you deal with questions all the time and not knowing something isn't as challenging anymore because at this point, I feel like I don't know very much and I'm pretty humble and and how I approach things. So not knowing things wasn't the problem. And the Republic team did a good job. There's a lot that you can Google and a lot of previous founders like Courtney from Akua who've written medium art like articles on their experience with Republic that I'll probably do at the end of our campaign to share nuggets of information for anyone else who might want to do a raise. Um, and all of the challenges are completely surmountable. I think one of the biggest ones for brands might be kind of getting content together. And for us, we have worked with Noah for this past year and just have a lot of content and the team works really well together. So we just made a checklist and really stuck to it, stuck to a timeline and didn't sleep a couple of nights and created this campaign. So we're really proud of it. And and really that initial mark of 25K was because like we didn't know if anyone would support us. And the initial marker was just like, we wanted our fans to come on board. We didn't expect anything or anticipate anything like where we are now. So very grateful for, again, like kind of growing the community in this new and different way. But so far, the experience has been really rad. And I would recommend it to to everybody, like the number that, that, yeah, I would recommend it. Yeah. What, how did the like the actual launch work as far as getting the word out because I know the the campaign took off made it to number one on the Republic homepage which is amazing advertising but like what else went into like was it Noah sharing it out was it sharing it out with everyone you knew investor support like how did you get the the word out to get so or did it end did word of mouth start to you know to take over at some point too yeah so i would say before any campaign launches and honestly this could be applied to any kind of campaign anything from kickstarter to an equity crowdfund through republic there are a couple of things that are really important one and back to kind of communication and building relationships that last i made a couple of lists one is like friends, family, love bugs, like everybody I know who I'm friendly with, who I can like shoot a text and give them a heads up that we are doing this raise. The second list was any of our current or potential investors. Um, so anyone who is currently an investor in TBH, but also over the years of, or over the, the last, let's call it year and a half, I've talked to hundreds of investors who didn't end up coming on board with TBH and that's completely fine, but I keep everybody posted. So that list of like overall investors was my list number two. And list number three were people that I knew who could amplify. So my one example would be like me texting you being like, hey, Jesse, like we're launching a campaign. Would you mind like checking it out? And if you feel comfortable sharing it to your audience and to your community. Um, And then maybe list number four would be communities themselves. Like I run a community on Facebook called OMG CPG. There's also Startup CPG. Uh, There's a bunch of different Slack groups for CPG operators and founders. And I'm a part of a kind of a couple of other like Colorado, New York, LA groups. So communities like that, whether it's on WhatsApp or Slack, it doesn't matter. Those are also a really good option. So between all of those, that's a lot of prep work, honestly, that has to be done. But when you have it, um, 
you, I think the other prep work, if I'm going to interrupt myself, was just writing copy for all of these things. That was the other hurdle, right? Because like the friendlies and the friends and the love bug list, that the voice that you're going to use is going to be a little bit different than what you say to investors and maybe the medium, right? I could text my cousin, but I'm not going to text an investor. Usually some, yes, but usually yeah. not. Um, so the copy I tried to write all in advance and still our campaign is going on. I have a lot written, a lot will change, but at least I have the skeleton of what I want to say in our next investor update um, in you know, what do I want to say the day before our campaign ends? And again, everything can completely go to crap and I'll have to change all of it. But I always like being a little bit prepared. So between making all those lists and writing the copy, that was a lot of kind of the work after the due diligence and the legalities were all taken care of. Um, and then our marketing team did just an incredible job getting all the content together and getting our campaign page together. And that kind of goes back to copy too, right? We wrote out uh, a skeleton of uh, all the different sections of our Republic page and collaborated on what each section should be, what it means, reread it a thousand times, edited a thousand times, and then finally put it up. And overall, it, I think it sounds like a lot of work and it is. It is a nice amount of work, but I think and maybe perhaps I have an operator's mind. So I kind of come back to organization. If you have those few elements together, it's really a matter of just putting them putting them on paper and then continuing to execute and remembering that it's really a marathon, not a sprint, because now we're at you know day 47 of the battle of like continuing to talk about it all the time, but not making people annoyed that we're continuing to talk about it because we're so excited. And I think that's always like the marketing challenge. Like you always want to continue to share, um, but you want to do it in like the most authentic way possible. Um, and yeah. to answer your question, Noah did. Noah was very involved um, and is very involved in the campaign. So I think that gave it some momentum too. But really like those lists that myself, my co-founder, Ba, and Noah created together um, led to a lot of that initial traffic. And we were so lucky like in those initial days with Republic, at least you have um, in order to be trending, you have a couple of kind of check boxes that you have to hit. Some of them are number of investors. Some of them are financial commits. And we kind of ticked all of those off. Um, so we were able to trend for, I think, four or five days on the front page of the site, which got us even more traffic. Um, I believe a story was picked up by TechCrunch as well. Mm -hmm. um, so between, I think, the PR, the word of mouth, and kind of the constant momentum, um, that really enabled us to go really far. Yeah, that's so cool. You can definitely see the prep work too. And I mean, Republic is a super cool platform. I wanted to go through the experience for a couple of reasons. A, I'm a big TBH fan. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to um, to do the $50 investment, but I also wanted to go through the process because I was, you know, I wanted to be able to talk on the show about what it was like. And it was, it was so easy and seamless of like, I went, I reviewed, I could review all the information. I could answer all my questions and then it just like verifies your identity. Um, you know, you sign some papers. It's easy to download all the documents. Like I was amazed how like simple it was, but yet like I felt very informed. I felt like I wasn't being bamboozled or anything, you know, like it just, it felt like very transparent. So it, all the work that your team put in and that went into the platform too, like it just, it was very impressive and really cool experience. I love that. I'm so happy to hear that. I also went through the experience, like the customer journey prior to launching the campaign by investing in other Republic um, companies and had the same experience, but also really just nice hearing that from you. Um, 
and really happy to have you on board. It, it, I've told a couple of friends who put in $50 investments. Like it, for me, it is not like $50 is, is a lot of confidence, right? Like I, I managed to, or we managed to express confidence from you uh, for a product that we're building. And that is, there's something really magical and special there. And now you get to be on this weird, wild ride with us. I love it. And you mentioned a little bit like due diligence. And I'm curious, like, is was there any requirements from like Republic side when you're like, hey, we want to do a campaign is what vetting do they do of, you know, of you before before they launch a campaign with you or their requirements and things that you had to work through? Yeah, I mean, basically your firstborn child. Like I think it's it's a serious due diligence process. I don't say that to scare anyone from doing it. I'm just kind of being uh, upfront. You, we personally, anybody who is on, um, I believe it was the, anyone in like a manager position or above. So myself, my co-founder, our board, all of us went through our own checks, like a security check as a human. Um, and then separately for the company, there is a lot of financial documentation that we had to turn over to them so that they had confidence in putting us on their platform. They don't want to put up companies that um, are not financially sound. So we had to turn over P&Ls, balance sheets, income statements, um, everything, everything, just a bunch of different financial information uh, for the previous. I mean, we haven't been around that long. So I think the current companies that have been around 10 years, uh, make sure your books are like nice and tidy. Um, But for us, like number one, I'm a little bit, I have like OCD with our accounting. So like everything is buttoned up, but it's just a lot of like exporting and uploading and um, there's a number of lawyers that we worked with who all did due diligence on each other to make sure that there was like cross checking that is done. So one lawyer requested documents and then all of a sudden we were working with another lawyer. I genuinely was at some point confused, called Republic. I was like, I'm so sorry. I think there's two men named Vince and are they, <laughs> they look like they're different men and they were in fact different men, both happen to have the same name, but they asked for the same exact information. So again, as long as you're organized, I just kept everything in a folder that said shared with Republic and just kept sharing that folder with everybody. And every single time someone asked for something, make sure you label it uh, in a way that is easy to understand as far as just the file name. But there was a lot of information they asked for and uh, it was intense. It was intense, but doable as long as everything is is available to you. Right. That's a super helpful sneak behind the the scenes just to kind of know what what goes into it. So that's awesome. Well, we're definitely going to dig into more things, but I want to take a quick break to talk about the package that you got in the mail today. Yes. Should I open it? Yeah. Okay. And Barbara is going to open it with a fork. I love it. Ooh, Papadelics is is your pack. I got mine in front of me too. You just okay. grabbed my favorite flavor, rad, rad rosemary rad and rosemary. salt. Okay. So Papadelics was one of our shelfie winners this year. And they are crunchy mushroom chips. So um, all right, I have a little little guy. I'm gonna try. It's very crunchy. Very crunchy. Very good. <laughs> Sorry, this podcast is getting so crunchy. I hear, I hear myself. Hey, it okay. shows the crunch. Very crunchy. Very yummy. It looks like it's a whole mushroom. Yeah. Yep. Super clean ingredients. Love. Yeah. 
super fun. So yeah, definitely stay tuned at the end to hear after I'm uh, after I finish talking with Elena, you'll hear from Marilyn and it's super fun. I love Popdelics is fun and we love having them in the startup CPG community. This is so yummy. Oh my gosh. My boyfriend's going to lose his mind over these. I love it. Yum. I'm going to finish this whole bag. These are great. I've not heard of them. Um, or, and I haven't, yeah. Thank you for introducing me to these little guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for trying. Yeah. I'm definitely, definitely a fan. My new go-to party snack. Yeah. It is, it is a very fun package to bring to a party. (laughs) Yes. I love it. And it's intriguing because people are like, wait, Papadelics? What is mm-hmm. it? What's inside? Why Why are there mushrooms? And so, yeah, yeah. it's very fun. I, I love they have this little disclaimer on the bottom. Although our snacks are out of this world, they do not contain any psilocybin on the bottom here. Yep. I love it. These are great. Awesome. Well, thanks Thank for you. taking a little Papadelics break with me. Yes. Awesome. Well, and I, you know, speaking of other brands, you've also done some interesting collabs at um, TBH. And my, and it just, it was many people's favorite and just won a Nosh Award, the Chubby Snacks uh, collab that you did. I still, I think I have one left in the freezer that I'm just like saving because <laughs> I just like don't want to eat the last one, but it's, yeah. you know, it's a, a essentially a PB and, uh, you know, PB and hazelnut. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and they're so good. Uh, and I'm curious to like learn a little bit more about like collabs that you've done because, you know, having a, a spread product is really opens itself up to kind of collaboration projects. So how did you decide on that collaboration? What goes into working on something like that? Yeah, you know, when we set out just in general, when when we launched and for 22, we wanted to leverage collaborations as a way to position TBH as an ingredient. Because while TBH is delicious by the spoonful, and I can completely probably slam a whole jar to the face, no problem in one sitting, it is also, TBH in general, is an incredible addition to other things, whether it's like a pretzel dipped in TBH or apples dipped in TBH, or it is sprinkled on a crepe or on a latte. Like it can stand on its own, but it is also amazing with other things. So before Expo West in 2022, our marketing team and I were talking about like our goals of having two collaborations in 2022. And as we entered Expo West, our head of marketing was like, I think chubby snacks would be killer. Like TBH chubby would be killer. So the guys met the TBH team at Expo West. We started working together maybe in April, maybe May. And by working together, I mean, we had a one hour call every single week for a matter of six months. And on that hour call, we talked about what we needed to be done. What are our timelines? We had a shared Google Doc that we worked in. And it kind of just was exactly as delicious as as Alana had thought. So uh, that was a little bit of like how we created that. We have the same vision for 23. So stay tuned for more absolutely yummy things. Um, Yeah. Awesome. I love it. And the branding was so fun was was there any like was it is it tricky logistically at all of like each kind of launching a collab like you know since as a as an ops person like I'm curious about any of the like was there any logistical challenges or things that you worked on to really make sure that it was you know seamless for the customers and for each brand yeah so you're totally right that there are some like weird, uh, not anomalies. There's some oddities in doing a collab like this, but it was actually quite easy because Chubby needed product from us. So really we used our food service arm to send buckets to Chubby. They 
took care of the manufacturing. And then all of the snacks themselves were stored at their warehouse because they do temperature controlled shipping and we do not. So for the most part, it was kind of a lot on the chubby team and uh, we helped as, in, in whatever way they needed. Um, yeah, there was really not a lot of challenges. The only thing I would maybe be curious about in future collaborations for TBH, but also kind of advice or something to noodle on for other brands looking to do collaborations is where you host, like the hosting online of where the product is and the fulfillment are two things that are items that need to be thought through. And as an example, in our case, our website directed all traffic to the Chubby website. The Chubby website was the only website that it could actually accept an order. So if someone wanted a jar of TBH, and Chubby Snacks, that was not possible. So Chubby took in all of the traffic and they fulfilled all of the orders. In a world where we both wanted to fulfill orders or we both wanted traffic, it added a layer of complexity that we wanted to avoid. But that would be the most kind of logistically odd thing to get through, especially because they need to ship frozen and, and we don't. Right. Overall, no regrets on on my end or on our end, or I think on the that, you know, John, Brad and, and Dylan, I think all of us like loved how it came out and love the flow. But I'm, I'm curious kind of in 23, as we do this again and again, how we can do it in a way where our consumer has the easiest experience. And if they go to the TBH website and aren't able to order the chubby, like I just want them to have like a more streamlined experience from wherever they end up. Um, yeah, something to think through next time. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it was a great consumer experience on my part. I saw it the the moment that it launched because Monica Watras, who we had on the show <laughs> from Food Entrepreneur, is a huge chubby and TBH fan. So I was like, oh, Monica's ordering. I got to order immediately. So I Love got it. in there right away and uh, got my product. And for the ultimate, I think uh, the ultimate mashup, because we've had uh, Funky Mellow on the show as well. I took my, my, uh, my peanut butter and hazelnut. And then I put like a dollop of the marshmallow cream on each bite. Next level. Yum. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. So it was, Ugh. it was so fun to get to like, you know, participate in the hype around that collab and then get to see like the Nosh Award come through recently. So um, yeah. That's so cool. I love that. I'm so proud. I think the most exciting part of that collab was really like working together with everyone on their team and on our team. And really coming together, I think oh, one of the guys mentioned it on LinkedIn. It was really just great execution from all of our parts. Everyone did what they said they were going to do. Everyone did it well. There was a lot of attention to detail. There was a lot of love that both teams put into it. And I think um, we received all of that back from like everyone from Monica to, um, to Douglas to just everyone. Like The CPG community is really a special place because this is not an easy space to navigate in. There are tools and there's support, but overall, it's a grind. And I love my career here because everyone is helpful. So when there is something exciting like this that comes up, you know, I did the same thing when the Lesser Evil Rind collab happened. I was like, yes, give me those snacks. Like, it's just a beautiful thing. It's like a marriage of two good humans. So yeah, no regrets. It went like more, it went as, as beyond our wildest dreams. That's amazing. And I also wanted to, cause it sounds like Noah on the team as the, you know, he had this idea when he was 15 and it sounds like he's still really involved and makes content and he's in school and has a company and like still like acting like it's amazing. Um, it's really amazing. But like, I'm curious, you know, how that that looks internally to have a celebrity founder, you know, based on other brands that you've worked at and with and like, 
you know, has it been different having a having a celebrity on the team? Like, how does it change things or not change things? Like, I'm kind of curious about the experience. It sounds very positive, though. Yeah, for sure. And he is, you know, I can't speak to other celebrity brands just because this is this is my first while I've been through uh, probably almost 100 CPG companies at this point between having a consultancy and consulting and having friends and being involved. Um, I would say 100 brands like I've never worked so closely with a celebrity. And I think one of the most exciting things is how passionate he is about this company, about making a difference, about this product, about reaching Gen Z, about giving Gen Z a better option to something that he has loved for so long. Um, I, I think it's interesting because I am older in general, like, and this isn't for no, our whole team is a lot younger than I am. So they're just so good with TikTok and creating content and editing videos and Noah's, you know, ideas and he creates them so quickly. So that that's all been just terrific. I think we have a good cadence in terms of when we speak to each other. I am mindful that this is his first year of college and I want really want him to have that experience of being in school and um, disconnecting a little bit from living with his parents, finally living on, on his own. Um, I know that he is still an actor. So he has other work to do. So we have like a good cadence of connecting with one another. He knows what we're up to. He's involved very much on like any kind of R&D, any kind of tasting for any of our collaborations. He's always the first one to get it. And especially the chubby one, he was like, holy, holy crap, this is so good. I think everyone at UPenn must have like been, been handed a, a chubby snack. Yeah, it's been really honestly a learning experience for me because he is busy and he is very smart and um that's been great yeah that's very cool and you you mentioned before like there's another co-founder as well ba as well mm-hmm. um you know how how does that dynamic how has that dynamic gone being you know co co ceo how is you know does is it uh has it been challenging at all to figure out like who does what or is it, you kind of have natural breaks of who has different strengths yeah i think you know in early stage companies team is everything it's kind of like a a basketball team or a football team or a soccer team. Like you need to be able to do what you're really good at and pass the ball to someone else who is good at what they do. So between myself, Noah and Ba, I think we all are very different in our backgrounds and our strengths. So, so far it's been just a complete blessing to have that dynamic because Ba really brings a lot of fundraising experience, a lot of brand building experience. I come from like straight up CPG and Noah kind of has this very Gen Z focused, um, he knows his audience. So when we all come together, I think that if if there is a direction, so as an example, in 23, we are focused on retail and we have some big retailers that we're in conversations with now. The three of us all have different ideas on how to amplify that, how to engage people. And the brainstorming part of things becomes a real joy because everyone's saying completely different things, you know? Um, so that's been just a learning experience, but also like in the best possible way. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I one of the things that we ha- have heard often on the show from guests is that uh, brands that have co-founders are so grateful to have co-founders because entrepreneurship is lonely you know, with or without co-founders, but especially without co-founders um, to bounce ideas off. And it's so hard. So having that team that you can bounce ideas off of and be in the thick of it with is is so cool. For sure. I can't imagine what it's like doing this on your own. I've always in every, I don't think I've ever started anything fully by myself. I've always had a partner and that is 
for a number of reasons, but top three would be for a sounding board. You need another voice in the room sometimes, um, even if it's to say good morning. Like sometimes Bob just texts me and says, how are you? Good morning. Have a good one. And we don't talk for the rest of the day, maybe on Slack or something, but we're both doing our things. But even that reminder that there is someone else on this journey with you, that ability to just call someone and vent or cry or laugh or celebrate is so, so meaningful and important. Well, the final question I wanted to ask you is, are there any guiding questions that you ask yourself when you're faced with tough decisions? Do you have any frameworks you go through? You know, um, when it comes to life, I usually ask myself what I would do if I wasn't afraid. Because sometimes fear comes into play. Like once once fear is involved, it kind of changes the dynamic a little. You're no longer acting in the best interest of X or Y or the company or yourself. You're now kind of blinded a little bit by this other thing. And that's the one question I ask myself when I'm faced with kind of a life decision or if I'm struggling. When it comes to business in like the day-to-day or or more granular sense of things, I try to operate as much with the mindset of finance and data as much as possible Uh, for a number of reasons. One, like I might have something in my mind, but I'm one human in a sea of humans and I could be wrong very easily. So with TBH, we do a lot of talking to our community, talking to our audience. I have kind of a a short list of friends who I can ask questions to and who can support me in that way. And then using data to like help you make decisions in business when it gets hard or confusing or you're not sure where to go. Just being mindful of like time and using any analytics you might have. So even, yeah, those would be mine. I don't know if they're frameworks. I think that what would you do if you if you weren't afraid is something that I heard when I was younger. And every time I'm really struggling with, you know, big kind of milestone thoughts, that is what always comes back to me. Because you might answer one thing, but if you weren't afraid, what would you really say? How would you act? What would you do? It's not a framework, but that's what I do. Awesome. I love it. Those are so great. Well, I would love for everyone to definitely go and check out all the different TBH things. So definitely on TikTok, follow at Snack TBH. You've got like 200,000 followers or something on TikTok. It's amazing. Yep. So much great content. And then where can people go if they're, and I'll make sure to link everything in the show notes, but where can they go if they want to buy some TBH and if, or if they're interested in the Republic campaign? Yeah. So if they want to buy TBH or follow, join our newsletter, they can go to snacktbh.com and we sell both TBH there as well as our merch, um, our Snack Society merch. And then for Republic, I believe we have it also linked on our website right up at the top uh, until January 20th, which is the last day that we are live. But they can also head to republic.com backslash snacktbh. Awesome. Great. Well, I cannot wait to keep following along, see the retail launches in 2023, see what new collabs and all the new things that you come out with. I'm so excited to be on the journey and just so grateful that you came on the show today to share with us about, you know, what you all have been up to and the work you've been putting in. It's so helpful to kind of hear behind the scenes and hear your story. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Don't go away just yet. Stay tuned for a fun conversation with Papadelic's founder, Marilyn, that I'm so excited to share with you. Hi, Marilyn. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Good. Thanks again, Jesse, for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. I got samples of the Papadelic ch- uh, chips last night, and I actually, I was on my way to dinner, and I stopped at the, stopped at UPS, picked up the package, and immediately broke into it in the car, because I was like, I'm going to have to, like, wait for a table, whatever. Like, I should, I need a snack. And 
I almost ate the whole bag of the rosemary. It's dangerous. They're uh, they're very addictive. I feel like they have that very savory yeah that makes you want to get another one so yeah very dangerous to eat before dinner yeah oh so good though and like i uh like there's a lot of really cool mushroom products out there and we've had some on the podcast and some of them like the texture i don't know you know the texture always just doesn't feel like the quite right for me to like eat a you know, eat a bunch or treat it like a maybe another snack but like you have nailed the texture and the flavors and like Oh my gosh, like I we opened up all the flavors today and we're eating them just so delicious. So so excited to like learn more. So glad that you're here. Well deserved to win a Shelfie Award from Startup CBG because just really incredible product like innovation. So yeah, just so so glad you're here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here as well. I was very excited when we won the Startup CPG Awards. I think it was actually one of the selling points of the awards that, you know, you guys do kind of give attention to very small new brands that may otherwise not be getting recognition elsewhere. So I think it was very flattering to us, I think, because of how new we are. Um, And actually, it was our our first real award win. So very excited. And to be part of the the community. And I think Startup CPG has helped us in so many other ways, too. So I think it was just a kind of a great full circle type of moment. And and again, I think it's great to see other, actually a lot of other mushroom products, to your point, I think on the platform, we've met quite a few others that we've actually collaborated with, for example. So uh, all around, very excited about the being a part of the whole community. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Well, I would love if you could, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about the like founding story. Sure. Yeah. Happy to do so. So actually both me, me and myself and my co-founder, Mike Casali, we're both actually from finance backgrounds. So we're from kind of investing backgrounds, but we always wanted to start a company. And on top of that, we're a couple as well. So we always joke that Fungal Snacks at Papadelics is our COVID baby. Um, But I I guess even funnier is that we're both huge mushroom lovers. And and that actually was one of the first things we really bonded over when we first met as well. I I mean, kind of who would have thought that we would have started a mushroom snack company? I, I guess, I mean, it's not like we met and started the company the next day, but I think so many things just make so much sense in retrospect. And have to give actually COVID a lot of credit for us actually pulling the trigger and starting the company. So as I said, we kind of always had a dream of starting a company coming from finance. And um, I think we felt like we would work well together professionally as well, kind of beyond, you know, personally. And we just never had the right idea. And so we never really pulled the trigger on anything. I mean, we would chat about it every now and then. And I think it took COVID for us to sit down and actually come up with an idea, but also be able to have the time to run with it. And again, it was super organic how Fungal Snacks and Papadelics came about. Like we're both huge mushroom lovers and we're, especially being stuck in our New York City apartments during COVID, the only excitement in our day was going to the grocery store. So I think it got us kind of in a food state of mind, uh, in particular, a CPG state of mind. And we, we quickly noticed that, I guess, to your point, there are I mean, even beyond mushroom snacks that are out there, there's there's just not a lot of mushroom snacks, at least in mainstream grocery stores quite yet. It's a lot of kale, cauliflower. And actually, I was really into these cauliflower snacks. It's the Rhythm Superfoods snacks are really good. And it kind of just came up in conversation one day, like, oh, I mean, if they're making snacks out of kale, cauliflower, chickpeas, why shouldn't they be making snacks out of mushrooms too? And specifically crunchy mushroom snacks. Since like you, I mean, we've come across, you know, mushroom jerkies and such as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, we went out to try to find some and we were quickly surprised that there's just not a lot of crunchy mushroom snacks out there. And the stuff that was out there was unbranded, unflavored, basically a lot of lost potential. And this is around the same time. I mean, this was about two years ago during COVID, so in 2020. But 
even back then, there, there was kind of the rise in popularity of mushrooms of all kinds. So we started in New York, especially seeing, you know, mushroom coffees and mushroom teas and all these coffee shops, mushroom clothing everywhere, uh, mushroom print. So it just felt like really good timing from that perspective. And they're not really being another product out there. And it being during COVID where we had free time, it was kind of a perfect storm. And we were like, okay, this is what we've been waiting for. Let's go ahead and do it. And so we decided to start the company at that point. And it's been a, it's been a, pretty actually it's been a pretty quick journey i guess i think there were times where we felt like things were taking forever because you if you can imagine we were trying to set up production a supply chain in the depths of covid um but one especially once we launched our product which wasn't until actually april of this year i think things have basically been non-stop after that i mean it's been pretty crazy i think a lot of things have happened just very quickly and it's funny because i'll connect with a few friends who you know have kind of fill them in here or there along our journey. But every time I speak to them, it's like, oh, here's the list of 20 things that have happened since I last spoke to you. Uh, so it's pretty crazy, I guess, the, the pace at which things happen in startup land. But um, it, it's a very good change of pace for us, I guess, coming from more corporate types of jobs where things happen slower. Um, and uh, super excited, I think, for the long-term future as well. I, actually, we were talking before the show about how we've kind of set a lot of stuff up for a company for kind of a much bigger presence or footprint in the future. And I, I didn't touch upon it yet, but you know, we started obviously the corporate umbrella of fungal snacks alongside the product, which is Papadelic's Crunchy Mushroom Chips. And part of that is because when we were thinking of Papadelic's, we it wasn't just mushrooms that came to mind. There were so many other vegetables that we thought would make amazing snacks that you just don't see in the grocery store. We call these kind of underloved veggies. So kind of bringing the underdog to the spotlight, that was kind of our, maybe our broader long-term goal with other vegetables as well. So uh, we're pretty excited for what that will bring. Obviously, we're very Papadelic's focused today, um, but also very excited, I think, for what more we could do uh, with a lot of other vegetables that are out there, actually utilizing a similar cooking method as well, which we can maybe go into a bit later. But very long-winded way of saying that it's been a very exciting journey and I'm very excited for Startup CBG to be a part of that as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I was going to ask next, like, how long did it take and what does it look like to nail that crunchiness that you've achieved? Because I think like what you're saying makes sense to me of like, yeah, there's like mushroom jerkies out there and everything. And for me, like I'm just like a crunchy snack lover. So when I like bit into one of your chips, I was like, oh, like, yeah, this like this is the texture I love. It's like eating another type of chip. And then you've got the flavor. So like, how did you achieve that? Did you like figure it out at home? Or like, what did it look like to nail that? Yeah, so we had a ton of help. So we can't take full credit at all. But I think we were, this was one of those very small world leveraging your network type of lucky break situations. But um, so be being in finance, I do some angel investing myself as well. And so before starting the company, I'd actually been in touch with this smoothie company, uh, actually became kind of personal friends and acquaintances with the founder as well. And so she was one of the first calls I made when we first kind of, even before we formally, I think, started the company, just to get advice on starting a CPG brand or company. Um, and we're not food people, so neither Mike nor myself are food people. We don't really cook. I think being in New York City, we, we just got used to eating out and whatever. So we had no idea where to start with in terms of actually physically developing the product. I think we had a very clear vision. Like we were very clear early on that we wanted it to be a full mushroom cap and we want it to be this very crunchy texture. We had no idea how to get there, obviously, but we, we had a pretty clear idea of what we the end product might look like. And so I called up this uh, kind of smoothie founder and she, uh, it was very fortunate actually that 
the founder of this one consulting firm for food startups called Rodeo CPG, who um, I'm pretty sure you, you all may know as part of your network as well. Um, the founder was on their board. And so she was able to put me in touch uh, with Rodeo and actually it timed up well to where I think we may have even been their first R&D client per se. So they have a lot of consulting services. I think they kind of started their bread and butter and more of that supply chain side, but they were just actually bringing on an R&D arm when we reached out to them. And so there was, again, a lot of stars aligning where we started working with their R&D team and we really wouldn't have been able to do it, I think, as quickly without their help. I mean, I think very quickly we were able to just try. We tried a ton of different types of mushrooms, not even to mention different types of cooking methods. But it was really, I think, thanks to them that we would have kind of found out about the cooking method that we landed on. It's a cooking method called vacuum frying. It's not very common in the U.S. today. Uh, the only real large company that does it here today is Terra Chips, the mm. T-E-R-A chips. They, their chips are actually vacuum fried. But other than them, there's like no vacuum frying going on, really, at least at scale. Um, It's very common, again, in Asia. And so we, I mean, I had no idea what vacuum frying was, and I'm I'm still not a food scientist at all. But basically, it's a lot healthier of a way to get a frying texture is basically the the short end of it. So in a, you're basically, it requires this very large specialized equipment. It's like cooking in a vacuum chamber. And if you're a science person, you'll appreciate that at a lower pressure, the boiling point of water is lower. And so you're able to cook at a much lower temperature, but also still resulting kind of that crispy texture. And so it's much, much healthier than when you think about what frying is. And the reason it's called frying is because you're still cooking in oil, but because you're cooking at a much lower temperature, you're not killing off the nutrients. Um, And it also requires a lot less oil. So you're not actually kind of retaining as much of the oil content. So much healthier way to get to that texture. And um, I think we see a lot of opportunity again, I think with other vegetables, I think vacuum fried as well. Um, it is a bit difficult because the, the machinery just isn't widely available domestically. So sourcing is a bit kind of convoluted. But um, but yeah, I think that was a lucky break on, on a lot of different fronts. Wow, that's so interesting. That's really cool. I love like hearing about different like food tech pieces. And so, wow, that's that's really cool. And then part of your like part of your profits or percentage or something, you created a foundation as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, again, I think part of our whole kind of grandmaster plan, I, I think it was really important to both Mike and myself when we started the company that we, we definitely wanted to have some angle of social impact, I think beyond just the company itself. So I think we thought it was, it made a lot of sense to kind of start a separate entity. So it's almost like a two startups in one, I guess, because the foundation is a separate entity that we set up. It's a 401c3 kind of nonprofit that we set up foundation. And the ultimate goal for the foundation is that we'll be identifying a number of different causes to support in the broader health and wellness world that are kind of tangentially food related to our core products, such as Papadelics. And we felt that it was just with our branding and everything. And I think with mushrooms as a whole, I think gaining a lot of attention, I think beyond just for eating, but also on the psychedelic and mental health treatment side. uh, I think one of the first kind of interesting causes that we kind of found when we were thinking about kind of what kind of causes we would want to support is the Johns Hopkins Institute for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. And so that was kind of the first maybe identified cause that we want to support. But ultimately, we would want to throw other kind of causes that are similar in nature. So again, kind of centered around broader, broadly health and wellness. So for example, um, you know, maybe food security or possibly, you know, supporting certain types of cultural foods in, in Chinatowns around 
uh, especially me coming from a Chinese background too. I think that was another kind of, especially during COVID, another um, part of the the charitable aspect that I was interested in. So um, I think we have a lot of, I think, aspirations for what the foundation itself can even become on its own. But I think for now, I think we're we're very kind of focused on tying that to mushrooms broadly. So supporting also the research that's being done in terms of psychedelic mushrooms and how there are a lot of innovations in terms of using psilocybin, for example, to treat addiction and other mental health issues. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm super fascinated to keep following the research that's happening. And for any listeners that, you know, are looking to learn more just about mushrooms in general, or some of like these topics that like with what Johns Hopkins like foundation is researching, there's some really great Netflix content out there now with like fantastic fun guy. And like, there's some explained content. And then I think the Michael Pollan's like, from his book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, I think like there's just really interesting content out there about, you know, what we're going to continue to see the research doing. So I love that you're supporting that research while, you know, having fun snacks in the world. Like, uh, and it's so cool. And I can't wait to see what it grows into and the different causes that you support. That's amazing. Yeah, we're super excited. I think just for as a lifelong mushroom lover, it was kind of like, oh, finally, people are paying attention to mushrooms, because I, I remember even being made fun of as a kid for, for liking mushrooms, because it just wasn't really a, I guess, a mainstream thing. And it's really cool to see that. I think a lot of people who maybe even didn't like mushrooms before are now at least paying attention to it or kind of experiencing mushrooms, I think, in a different way. And I think that was kind of the goal with our snacks as well. I think with that crunchy texture, it's just not something that people naturally associate with mushrooms. And mm-hmm. so we, we love actually our favorite thing seeing at you know events or sampling or whatever is when people who claim not to like mushrooms or hate mushrooms or whatever, they try our snacks, but they're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I think that's always our favorite thing, I think, to convert what we call a mushroom doubter into a potential mushroom lover. And I think a big part of that is that you know people especially here in the U.S. where most of the mushrooms you get are basically just one type of mushroom. It's the mm-hmm. white button mushrooms, portobello. Um, and we use shiitake, which itself is already a different type of mushroom. But on top of that, we're cooking it in a completely different way. And so I think it's just really cool to see, I think, the broad adoption of mushrooms in a kind of a bigger audience. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, there's so many different types. I It wasn't really until recently that I discovered there was so many different types. Like we're lucky to have a farmer's market close to us where we can go and get lobster mushrooms and um like all these different types and you know the the person will tell you like oh cook this with this and this with this and different flavors and textures and there's just it's kind of a whole world that yeah i think is just kind of opening up and so it sounds like your love of mushrooms goes way back though like i didn't realize it was like back to like as a child like can you share a little bit about that like how far back the mushroom love goes i think as far back as i can remember so i was a really weird kid clearly so <laughs> i i was super super picky i was one of those kids that you know my parents could not get me to eat anything but mushrooms they never had a problem with so i remember i distinctly remember and actually i, I wouldn't mind doing this even today i i used to i guess get my parents to order me supreme pizzas like from pizza hut but I would only end up picking the mushrooms off of it because I think as a kid, I, I think I had this weird idea that the only place I could get mushrooms was off of a pizza or, or something like that. Like because they were like cooked in this like really nice way because it was baked with a pizza or whatever. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was like, oh, the only way I'm going to get baked mushrooms is if I, I get the pizza and I pick it off. So yeah, so I was I was super weird. I think I you know I've always loved mushrooms um, to the point where actually it's really funny when I first started the company and told people about Papadelics, like none of my friends were surprised. And actually my favorite quote 
from one of my friends is she, she actually said this to me. She said, Marilyn, that's so on brand for you. <laughs> so, so I was just known even among my friend group as being kind of the, the mushroom gal, I guess. So I think a lot of things make so much sense in retrospect, which is actually really funny to think about. I mean, it's kind of like a wonder that I didn't start the company sooner, I think, given, given yeah. this whole fact pattern. But it's really fun to kind of think back on. That's amazing. Well, so like what's coming up next for like in 2023? Like, are there stores that you're looking to get into? Like, you know, what's kind of top of mind for you? What should we be keeping an eye out for in the in the near future? Yeah, so a lot of different things. Maybe I'll go through all of our sales channels. So we are true omni-channel, like any modern CPG brand these days. So we do a lot of both physical and online data seeds. So we, of course, have papadelics.com and Amazon, but we also love doing in-person kind of fairs, so vegan day all type events. We're actually going to be at the New Jersey Vegan Food Festival this weekend. Um, so we're going to continue to be doing those, I think, primarily because we're based in New York City. Most of the events we've done thus far have been New York City or East Coast based. But next year, we hope to do a lot more on the West Coast. Uh, we do kind of have a growing kind of fan base, so to speak, kind of on on the West Coast and Pacific Northeast, for example, and uh, Northwest. So we're pretty excited about kind of expanding some of our events footprint to the West Coast. Um, and in terms of the wholesale side of things, uh, we're, we have some pretty exciting retail launches coming up. So one of our flavors, Twisted Thai Chili, will actually be in Urban Outfitters starting oh, wow. I think, later this year, actually. So that's going to be nationwide. So it's going to be one of the first actually nationwide type places that you could get our snacks, which we're excited about. Um, on top of that, we, there's a few other kind of uh, really cool retailers that we're excited to announce over the next few months. And we recently were actually accepted into uh, DPI Specialty Foods. They're a large distributor, actually primarily on the West Coast. Um, they actually had a special program for emerging brands uh, called a New Product Showcase that we were fortunate enough to be chosen for. Um, and so we'll be launching with them, kind of coinciding with the new year as well. So I think a lot of uh, us kind of expanding into the West that we're pretty excited about for the next year or so. That's going to kick off actually at winter fancy food show. So if anyone's going to be at winter fancy food show who may be listening or in the broader startup CPG community, we're pretty excited to be kicking off with DPI there. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the whole summary. Obviously, a lot going on on all fronts, but uh, super excited, I think, to be kind of expanding our geographic footprint. Yeah, that's amazing. That's super exciting. So yeah, I would encourage everyone listening, make sure to go to papadelics.com. That's P-O-P-A. D-E-L-I-C-S. So like the word psychedelic, but you got Papa in front of it. It's so fun. I love it. Like I just, I love the name so much. So papadelics.com. And then you can, you have your social channels as well. Like you can search that on Instagram and make sure to follow the latest updates. And then if you're not near a store, go to Amazon, go to the website. Cause I think, I think everyone's going to love these, uh, these once they give them a try. Like I'm so excited to share the samples you sent me with more people and, you know, convert them to Papadelic's uh, uh, lovers. So it is kind of like a try it to believe it kind of situation. I yeah. Think well, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of a bit of a, actually no pun intended, a mind trip for the texture. So um, yeah, so definitely follow us on social media. We, we do have uh, sampling events, actually. We, we have one actually going on in LA this weekend as well. So we try to do kind of uh, different events at a bunch of our different retailers. We have a store locator. Obviously, you can order online, but uh, yeah, a lot of ways to get a hold of us. So yeah, we're pretty excited for to continue to spread actually the the mushroom craze and the mushroom love. I love it. Well, thanks so much for spending a little time with me today. So glad that you're in the startup CBG community. 
and that you want a shelfie and just like, yeah, I'm so glad that I've gotten to try your product and can't wait to continue to follow your your progress and and cheer you on. And, you know, all all your whole startup CPG community is behind you as well. So thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks again, Jesse. And again, we couldn't have done this all. I think we had a lot of really great connections from startup CPG. So we're super excited to continue to be part of the community and hopefully even start helping other people kind of as we start getting more of our footing as well. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer, and on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.